Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, the Florida Council of Arts and Culture, and the State of Florida. It's also made possible by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund, the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in O'Galley, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Brookmarkle, and coming up on the program, St. Augustine is commemorating 450 years as the oldest continuously occupied city in the United States, established on September 8, 1565. We'll talk with Chad Light, who portrays St. Augustine founder Don Pedro Menendez de Avales. Some of us may see it at a 50-year benchmark in our city's birthday. Uh, more than once in our lifetime, hopefully so. But for us, it's the only time it will happen as we are adults and can do something to celebrate it. The responsibility is on us, and for many of us, it is is a passion. We'll discuss a 1605 book about Hernando de Soto. The Hernando de Soto expedition of 1539 is probably one of the more well-known and interesting of the 16th century Spanish conquests into the southeastern United States. And we'll talk about the motivations for Spanish colonialism. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. To Pedro Menendez Marquez, listen to me, nephew. There's one thing that I want you to know. May God see my heart and intentions in Florida. We're listening to a letter written by Pedro Menendez de Avales on September 8, 1574, just nine days before his death. When my mission with the Armada, the subjugation of the heretics in Flanders for the king and for Spain is completed, I have but one desire. After the salvation of my own soul, there is nothing in this world I desire more than to bring myself to Florida and in my days saving souls. Reporting to His Majesty the discontent I bear in being away from Florida, he has done me the grace of telling me that whenever he may grant me license, he will of very good will let me go back to Florida. I hope to God he will do so in the spring, because I have no doubt that this winter the problem of Flanders will be resolved and I will be free to go back to Florida, to never leave Florida as long as I live, because these are my wishes for happiness. If not, I fear that the type of colony I have dreamed of may never materialize. Nevertheless, perhaps the dreams we've had for La Florida will live on in our settlements there to serve as an indelible mark of our endeavors. My legacy. I, Don Pedro Menendez de Aviles, heroic defender of Spain, or tyrant. In 1565, Don Pedro Menendez de Avales well. founded the city of St. Augustine, the oldest Finance. permanent European Finance. settlement in what would become the United States. Over the past few years, historic reenactor Chad Light has earned recognition as the modern-day embodiment of the Spanish conquistador. Light appears in television commercials encouraging people to visit St. Augustine by showing Menendez enjoying today the city he founded four and a half centuries ago. Light also portrays Menendez in a one-man theatrical presentation on billboards and Facebook and at special events including official anniversary celebrations sponsored by the City of St. Augustine. Chad Light can regularly be seen as Menendez at the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park. There are several aspects to Menendez. 
First of all, he was a sailor. Um, he spent his entire life on the sea. He was drawn from an early age to the irresistible vocation, as he put it. And that's where he made his fortune, and that's where he made his name. He was the younger son of 20 brothers and sisters, and he was only about eight or nine years old when his father died. So once the hacienda was split up amongst the heirs, all the children ended up poor, and they had to make their own fortunes by their own diligence and the grace of God. He left home when he was nine years old, was brought back, uh, married to his lifelong wife. But he soon left home again after that, signed on as a ship's boy under a false name, so they couldn't find him this time, and spent the next two years with an armada that was fighting the French pirate fleets. When he returned home, he sold part of what was left of his birthright, which wasn't much, borrowed money, built a small ship, and with family and friends he convinced into it, they became soldiers of fortune. And in the next 20 years was when they made a name for themselves. They became men. And it was then that he was noticed by His Majesty Carlos. And the, the assignments that he was given, uh, he did very well. He was outstanding, in fact. And as with any successful man, you're just given more to do, which he did. Uh, the, the enterprise here in Florida was a bit of a change for him. Uh, he had already been a captain general of the treasure fleet. But the loss of his son Juan compelled him uh, to come to Florida in the hopes that he would be able to find his son. And the being made adelantado was necessary because of his problems with the Casa de Contratación in Sevilla. But he was uh, granted the contract by the king. And that's when the sailor came ashore. Pedro Menendez de Avales became governor of St. Augustine, founding the oldest continuous European settlement in North America in 1565. By the time colonists landed at Jamestown and Plymouth Rock, the people who settled St. Augustine had grandchildren. Menendez and his men vanquished the French from nearby Fort Caroline, securing La Florida for the Spanish. Chad Light has a B.A. in history and a master's degree in psychology, which helped him to prepare to portray Menendez. It's been since uh, the first book by Albert Manusi, but then the work by Dr. Lyons, uh, which is, at this point, the definitive uh, work on the enterprise of Florida and Menendez as a man. Uh, lectures given by Eugene Lyons are available through the St. Augustine Foundation, I relied on those. I relied on his uh, Enterprise of Florida. And it was able, after reading the Enterprise of Florida several times, it was then I was able to appreciate more the works of Solis de Meras, Gonzalo Solis de Meras, his, uh, Pedro Menendez's brother-in-law, and the work of Barrientos, uh, which together uh, form a very uh, clear, if not complete, picture of the events as they unfolded here in Florida in those, uh, in those very epic years of 65, 66, and 67. Chad Light is a member of the Men of Menendez, which is part of the Florida Historic Militia. The Men of Menendez portray the first settlers of St. Augustine at the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park. That's where we spoke with Chad Light in his Menendez costume, surrounded by both colorful peacocks and the all-white variety. 
The men of Menendez had a campsite nearby. They've been around for uh, 30 years uh, as an organization, but the individuals have been here, some of them their entire, some of them their entire lives, uh, many of them their entire lives. They represent and portray uh, very realistically uh, the uh, civilians and soldiers that were here with Menendez in 1565 and 1566. Um, from September 1565 until May 1566, the first settlement was actually right here on the Fountain of Youth property. And it's been in the last uh, few decades when the excavations have been done here that have slowly borne this out. Dr. Kathleen Deegan has been conducting archaeological excavations on the original site of St. Augustine off and on since 1976, and her work there continues today. Each September, a reenactment of the landing of Pedro Menendez takes place at Mission Nombre de Dios, which is adjacent to the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park. Every year, Menendez is portrayed by Chad Light at that reenactment. There's a small wooden boat, and uh, not a rowboat, it's about 20 feet long. Um, it has a mast. We have someone at the tiller, someone is rowing, uh, both in period dress, and then there is myself and my maestro de campo, my field commander, who it was Pedro Menendez's future son-in-law, who was also named Pedro Menendez, but he was Pedro Menendez de Valdez, uh, from a very powerful family in Asturias. We will both be on uh, the boat, they will row up to the shore, and we will get out and step through the mud onto a plank and then onto the yard, at which time there will be a veneration of the cross and the flags, just as Pedro Menendez did when he stepped off that boat. And we know this because of the works by Mendoza de Grajales, uh, who was the priest, and by Menendez's brother-in-law, again, Gonzalo Solis de Meras. The goal of Chad Light and the men of Menendez is to demonstrate what life was like for St. Augustine's earliest European inhabitants. Of the 800 souls that came with Menendez, 600 were soldiers. And so there will be a large soldier contingent, uh, armor, pikes, muskets, arquebus, uh, everyone wearing a sword. Uh, kids always get a kick out of that, especially little boys. But there's also the side of the camp that was the necessary part. Uh, you'll have a large kitchen. Uh, we'll have our dining area. Uh, traditional food will be cooked over open fires in the traditional way. We will have a gentleman there that is teaching people navigation, Quinton, who is himself was a retired sailor. Um, the aspects of life that uh, people see other than the soldiers will all be present. Uh, women will be sewing. Uh, there's, uh, beyond the navigation, there's the uh, maps and the explanation of how they live their day-to-day -day life to be able to do the things that they did will all be on display. It's important to recognize the establishment of St. Augustine every year, but 2015 will mark the 450th anniversary of the city. As discussed previously on Florida Frontiers, a commission of federal and state dignitaries has been created to prepare for that milestone. In our adult lifetime, uh, this will only happen to us once. Some of us may see it uh, a 50-year benchmark in our city's birthday, uh, more than once in our lifetime, hopefully so. But for us, it's the only time that it will happen as we are adults and can do something to celebrate it. The responsibility is on us. And for many of us, it is, it is a passion. It's a passion for the history, it's a passion for the city, 
drawn out of a love for the city, but also a love for Florida and Florida history and telling that story to the world. Chad Light portrays Pedro Menendez de Avales, founder of the city of St. Augustine. In 1563, my only son Juan was returning to Spain from Veracruz as commander of the new Spain contingent. I had trained him up from a boy to be captain. But he left Havana for Spain in August of that year in contradiction of my explicit prohibition against sailing during that most dangerous season. His fleet, struck by a mighty storm, was scattered far and wide, and its captaina, along with my beloved son, were lost. Some rumors placed the wreck along the east coast of Florida. As would with any father, my hope swelled that he may yet be alive, cast away in the wilderness of that peninsula. And so, that hope persisted in my mind. But as if contrived by the devil, my son's shipwreck coincided with my unjust arrest and imprisonment by the Casa de Contratación in Sevilla. To say that I was grief-stricken and frustrated would be a monumental understatement. After great and frustrating delays by envious, slanderous and inept bureaucrats, I escaped to Valladolid and made my audience with the king. I pled my case with his majesty and he granted me a contract to go to Florida. At last, I could look for my son. I was made adelantado of Florida and from that moment on I would be free from the house of trade in Sevilla, answering only to his majesty. Our adventures in Florida are now well known far and wide. God granted us a swift and total victory over the Lutherans, after which we established seven settlements along the coast of La Florida. San Agustin, San Mateo, San Lucia, Aiz, San Antonio, Tocobaga, and Santa Elena. I made fast allies of all those peoples, all but Satariba, who was clearly still under the spell cast over him by the heretic Lutherans, who he himself fought with. From Tocobaga to Orrista, we made allies with the rest, even the warlike Cacique Carlos. We had returned to us more than 100 castaways, some of whom had been in Florida for more than a decade. But nowhere, nowhere was my one. After searching La Florida for any trace, I had to painfully admit to myself that one may never be found. Even still, my heart breaks. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org to find out about upcoming events, explore our educational resources, listen to archived editions of this program, and much more. Click on the Join Now button to receive our journal, the Florida Historical Quarterly, and our newsletter, the Society Report. That's myfloridahistory.org. Joining us now is Ben DiBiase, Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa. Ben, today you have here a book published in 1605 about the Hernando de Soto Expedition. 
Yeah, that's right. And the Hernando de Soto expedition of 1539 is probably one of the more well-known and interesting of the 16th century Spanish conquest into the southeastern United States, what the Spanish at the time called La Florida, that covered all of what was then known about the continent of North America. And de Soto is an interesting character. Uh, He gained some notoriety serving with Pizarro in the Central and South American campaigns. He had spent some time in Peru uh, and became known for his somewhat brutal tactics uh, when dealing with the native populations in Central and South America. He traveled back to Spain in the mid-1530s and was given permission in a governorship to conquer the lands of what they then referred to as La Florida. Uh, Now, there were a few expeditions prior to that, and and, uh, we've talked about it in in previous programs, the Ponce de Leon expeditions and Ion and uh, Navaez that uh, ultimately failed. But De Soto brought with him a number of ships, almost 700 men who were uh, intent on establishing a colony in La Florida. And in May of 1539, they landed somewhere near present-day Tampa Bay, uh, maybe a little bit further south. Some scholars disagree about the exact location. But what's different about other expeditions is that they immediately started heading into the interior of Florida. In fact, actually headed north. There's an archaeological site that was discovered in the 1980s near present-day Tallahassee that confirms an encampment that they date back to the DeSoto expedition. So we know that he came through part of north-central Florida and eventually traversed a few thousand miles throughout the southeastern U.S. They went as far north as Tennessee. They then went west uh, across the Mississippi River. We're at at some point in present-day Arkansas, down south into Texas. And along the way, they were the first Europeans to encounter a lot of these native peoples who had never seen a European before. So here they are in the deep interior part of North America, exchanging, you know, this cultural exchange between the, the native peoples. And then eventually, of course, that information was brought back to Spain. Now, unfortunately, the expedition did not succeed. They weren't able to establish a colony. A lot of that had to do with their initial relationship with a lot of the native peoples here. They were intent on on colonizing and and conquering the people, so there wasn't a whole lot of dialogue and amicable discourse. De Soto contracted some sort of disease. He died sometime in in, uh, 1542, actually in about May of 1542, His uh, burial plot is somewhere on the western edge of the Mississippi River. The few survivors, which at that time numbered between 300 and 350, decided to abandon the expedition, headed back down the Mississippi River, eventually made it to a Spanish colony in Mexico in late 1542, early uh, 43, and essentially abandoned that, that expedition. Well, this is really a fascinating story, and, and the man who wrote this 1605 account of Hernando de Soto's expedition, Garcilaso de la Vega, has an interesting story of his own. Yeah, that's right. De la Vega, known later in his life as La Inca, the Inca, was actually unique, uh, culturally unique. He was the son of a Spanish captain and an Incan princess. So he was descended from these noble uh, families from both the European culture and the native Amerindian culture in uh, present-day Peru. Now, he lived uh, for most of the first part of his life, for about 20 years, in Peru. He grew up there. He listened to a lot of oral traditions. He learned the culture, learned the Quechua language, was proficient in their language. And then at the age of 20 or 21, traveled to Spain, learned Spanish, learned Italian, learned to read and write the Spanish language. And he lived in this strange sort of nexus environment in between these two cultures. Uh, Although he never traveled back to Peru, he still had this connection with the Amerindian culture. De La Vega is famous for writing a few accounts, one of the, the history of his people in Peru, but he also wrote this book, the one that we're looking at today that was published in 1605, and it's entitled La Florida del Inca. 
uh, and it is a chronicle of that Hernando de Soto expedition. Now, de la Vega was born in 1539, so he was born the year that de Soto landed in La Florida, so he never knew de Soto. But while living in Peru, he was able to interview a gentleman who was along with de Soto during that expedition in 1539. And through that oral history account, and from some historical documents as well, he was able to piece together what this expedition was like. So what we get is the final product, the 1605 narrative of the Hernando de Soto expedition. And what's fascinating is that, you know, most historians will discount the historical accuracy. A lot of the place names are, are off and the timeline is very different. But De La Vega writes in the classic Renaissance style. It's, it's beautifully written. It's very succinct and clear and to the point. And it's famous even today as a great early, late 16th, early 17th century account of what the interaction was like between these first Europeans and the native peoples that lived in the southeastern part of North America. And having that background, you know, having what they refer to as mestizo or this mixed race background, he brings to his writing this sensibility for the Amerindian perspective that was not present in a lot of other contemporary writings. So, you know, in that regard, this is a unique work. And again, it's, it's been translated a number of times in, in a number of different languages. But what we have today that we're looking at here in the archive is an original Spanish language first edition copy of that narrative. And we're almost out of time, but, but this particular book was donated to the Florida Historical Society Library of Florida History by an important historical figure. Yeah, that's right. The story just keeps getting better. Uh, when the Florida Historical Society reincorporated in 1905 and they formed a, a research library, the first donation to the library was this book, Florida del Inca, and it was owned by none other than Henry Flagler, the railroad magnate who was uh, famous for building the Florida East Coast Railroad and developing Florida's infrastructure. This was his personal copy that he donated to the Florida Historical Society over a century ago. Thanks a lot, Ben. Sure, thank you. Ben DiBiase is Director of Educational Resources for the Florida Historical Society and Archivist at the Library of Florida History in Cocoa. This is Florida Frontiers. The Spanish settled St. Augustine in 1565, making it the oldest continuously occupied European city in what is now the United States. Robert Casanello from robertcasanello.com has this look at Spanish exploration in Florida. For the English, the Spanish, and even the French, even though they were kind of uh, marginalized to the West, by the time you get to the American Revolution, Florida is seen largely as a, a defensive borderland. Or if you're Spain, you want to maintain control of Florida to keep the English and the French away from the more lucrative Caribbean possessions. Keep them away from Mexico. And so utilize the Indians there, utilize the forts there. You know you don't have a lot of resources. You know that a lot of Spanish settlers aren't gonna come live there. But you could still use it as a way to keep the competitors from getting the stuff you really want. That was Dr. Daniel Murphy from the University of Central Florida. 
He was telling me about early Spanish colonial objectives for Florida. Here, Dr. Murphy tells me why the Spanish were initially interested in Florida. The thing about Florida, though, that the other reason it became important to figure out what it was and to map it was because it also became a, a kind of a shipwreck um, place or a center of shipwrecks. The Florida Straits were very treacherous, and as Mexico was being colonized by Spain and the Caribbean in general, this was important because a lot of the, the bullion they were shipping back was going past this, so they wanted to find out more about Florida. Then you get to the, 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 the other reasons. Well, a lot of people thought there might be riches there, there might be gold, there might be, um, the very least, there might be slaves you can obtain there, people you can trade with. And then, of course, there's always this ongoing um, hope there's some kind of passage, some kind of water passage through this either massive islands or this continent that um, will really, you know, be a game changer in terms of imperial competition, in terms of imperial trade. Dr. Murphy explains to me the early successes and failures of the Spanish exploration of Florida. The, the Ponce de Leon's, the Hernando de Soto's, and all the rest, and there were several different groups, they'd get backing, they, they'd advertise these expeditions, they'd get investors to back it in Spain, and they'd talk about all these wonderful things, and then they'd get there, and it was What's telling is that despite all the reasons they would have for not talking about how bad it was, all of them in one way or another would actually write letters back saying, wow, this is really bad, which really shows you this, the gravity or the scale of how, how much worse it was than they expected. What they encounter typically is they, they, first the geographic realizations. They, and you know the, the, the Hernando de Soto's and the Ponce de Leon's, as, as unsuccessful as they were for their goals, they did succeed in mapping it. So they did figure out it was a peninsula. What they found in this peninsula was not the gold they expected. The, the, they did try to enslave natives, and on occasion they would ship these natives back, but in much smaller numbers than they thought. And more importantly, the natives were much more effectively resistant. Compounding the problems of Spanish exploration were the myths that traveled back and forth between Europe and the Americas. Dr. Murphy tells us about the legend of Chicora. One of these Spanish expeditions up the Atlantic coast, and, and right around South Carolina, they encountered this very Atlantic world personality, a guy, a Native American, who they designated as Francisco Chicora. And what Chicora told them, which was very common for natives that encountered Spaniards, was that if you just go a little bit further, you're going to find these bountiful lands. Lands, uh, New Andalusia is what they, they called it. These lands where you can grow anything you want to grow, you can prosper, you can profit. This would be a great place to establish settlements, which of course caused many Spaniards to launch more expeditions. I, uh, many people wanted to form colonies, you know. Um, but it's just like El Dorado, it's just like all the other legends. It wasn't true. These riches, or at least these easy riches that, that were, were said to be up there weren't there. But just like El Dorado and Chicora and all the rest of them, they maintained, they persisted, even when the reality was seen to be different. So many people wanted to find it. So many people saw it as a good investment option back in Europe that people perpetuated and perpetuated these, these ideas. And this is what the Sotos did, all the explorers did. It was almost one of these situations where even if Chicora didn't exist, you couldn't admit that because then you're gonna stunt this whole colonial enterprise. And there were too many people invested in it to kind of accept that reality. That was Dr. Daniel Murphy. I interviewed him and others for the podcast series, The History of Central Florida. You can find it on iTunes. I'm Robert Castanello with Florida Frontiers.
You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Our program is available anytime on the web at myfloridahistory.org. It's also now available as a podcast from iTunes and other distributors. Production assistance for Florida Frontiers comes from Ben DiBiase and Robert Casanello. The program is edited by John White. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Viva St. Augustine on their 450th anniversary. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, the Florida Council of Arts and Culture, and the State of Florida. It's also made possible by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund, the Rossiter House Museum and Gardens in O'Galley, and by Florida's Space Coast Office of Tourism, representing destinations from Titusville to Cocoa Beach to Melbourne Beach.